What a week. It's been a big week in our church. Many of you were at the meeting on Tuesday night, and so you know some of the things that we are wrestling with as a congregation. This week has also been big, too, because this, uh, this week I traveled to Colorado for the annual meeting of our church. And to hold these two together, the things that we are working through, and also the good things that are happening in our church, it causes me to be hopeful. I am hopeful in us. The ways that we respond with grace and love. The things that are happening in our church, the church at large, the mission that is being carried out and going forward. I'm hopeful. Despite all the things that are happening, I'm hopeful. Paul speaks into, in the letter to the Ephesians and he begins telling them that we have all been far off. We all know what it's like to be far off, to be far from God. We know what it's like to make those decisions without God. The things that we've done that we regret that we wish we could do differently. We all know what it's like to be far off. Maybe some of you came to faith later in your life. Maybe in your 30s or 40s or later. And you look back and you know the decisions that you made without God. You know the things that you've done that you regret, that you wish you could go back. Things that you might even be ashamed to tell people now. And now with your faith, the faith that Christ has worked in you, you wish you could go back and do things differently. Work differently at your job. Speak differently to people. Be different. Care differently in your relationships because of your faith. But even some of us, some of you who have gone, who have grown up in faith, maybe you grew up going to Sunday school and you've always been a part of the church. And so you know what it's like for your life to be on fire for Christ, to be filled with God's Spirit and desire Him. And you know what it's like to go through those seasons when people would look at your life and they may not even know that you're Christian. If they were to see the way that you treat your family, or the way that, that you seek or speak to people at work or with your neighbors, or the ways that you constantly chasing after more and more stuff. They might be appalled. They might not even know you're a Christian, but more than that, they might be appalled that you would say that you're a Christian. We know what it's like to be far off. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says that we all know what it's like. Like sheep, we all go astray. And when we look honestly at our lives, we know that we have this pension, this propensity to continue walking away from God. If we aren't constantly walking right behind Him, it's as if one of our legs is shorter than the other and we begin to walk in a circle off track. Even without meaning it, without paying attention, we tend to go off track. Christ is calling us to follow Him. We know that we tend to be far off. It's interesting, as I listen to Paul speak, I am undone by his honesty. Paul speaks forthright. He speaks truthfully with us. That you are far off. That at one time, all of us have been far off. At one time, we have all been far apart from God. He disabuses us of the idea that any of us deserve to be here. He reminds us with the truth. The truth that sometimes is hard to hear, but we need to hear it. None of you are here because you deserve to be here. None of us are in this place because of our righteousness or our virtue. We are all here by grace. Every one of us, no exception, every one of us is here in this room because of God's grace. Because while we were still enemies, Christ died for us to reconcile us to God the Father. It's interesting and it's helpful that Paul disabuses us. He, he sets things straight for us and he sets us free. He sets us free from trying to act like we have it all together all the time. 
He sets us free from climbing atop our Bible so that we can look down our noses at people. He sets us free. He reminds us of His grace. That Christ is gracious in our lives and that we are here because of grace. We all know what it's like to be far off. The decisions that we've made, the things that we've done that we wish we could do differently. We all know what this is like. The good news is we have been reconciled. In Jesus Christ, we have been brought near to God. In Jesus Christ, we have been brought near to each other. People who had, for no other reason, would even be in the same room together, He brings us here together. Because we all worship God. Because we all worship Jesus. Gathering in His name. He has reconciled us, but He has reconciled us through the blood. Through His own blood. Through the cross. Not just by great teaching. Not by being just a great man, but through sacrifice. God the Son came and sacrificed everything to save us. He died that we might have life, and then He rose again that we might live forever and ever with Him. God has done this. He is doing this, and He's doing this all to, to remove the barrier that stands between us and God. This thick, concrete wall called sin that separated us from God, Christ has moved it away. In the cross, He's done this. By His death and resurrection, He has reconciled us to God. This is the most important part, too, that He has reconciled us to God the Father, the living God, the Creator of all things. On the cross, Christ reconciled us. This is the good news. The Gospel is that in Jesus Christ, we have been made right with God again. We've been made right. While we were still enemies, while we were still breaking the good laws that God has given us to direct our lives, to protect us and keep us holy, to keep us close to Him, while we were still breaking all of these, Christ came that we might, that we might have life, that we might be saved. These laws that God has given us, these guidelines for life, He's given them to us to protect us, to help us live faithfully, protect us from the things that would destroy us, but also to keep us from hurting each other, from doing the things that would drive each other into the ground. But more importantly, He's given us these laws to make us holy, that we would remain close to Him. Because it's in, it's in our closeness to God that we live. I mean, sure we might exist. I mean, people exist all over the world without Christ. They exist. But to truly live, we must be close to God. We must be close to Christ. But Jesus has done more than this. On the cross, hanging there, He bore our sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought Him death was upon Him. By His wounds we have been healed. These are the words that the prophet Isaiah spoke 800 years before Christ lived. We we recognize it again in Jesus. He has done this. He has reconciled us to God. Because God was right to be angry at the things we've done to each other. He was right to be angry at the times that we have hurt each other, that we have disobeyed Him. The times that we've been selfish. The times that we've been angry and violent. God is right to be angry at these and to punish them. But it was on the cross. It was on the cross that that Jesus took all this upon Him. And He satisfied God's justice. He took God's wrath that we might be close to Him. But now we don't have to be afraid anymore. This is the amazing news that God, that Jesus didn't just set things to neutral. He didn't just make it so God could tolerate us. 
He made it so that God could love us again. He made it so that we could draw close to Him. Not that we could just say, God, please don't hurt me anymore, that we could call Him Father. We could call Him Abba or Daddy. That we could be brought close to God. We have been reconciled in Christ. Amen. Amen. But we've also been reconciled to each other. This this thing, this ragtag group called church that has always struggled for 2,000 years to remain together. We see it in the letters of Paul. Even to the first Christians, the, the Christians in Corinth. Most of that letter is encouraging them to stay together. We've been reconciled to each other in Christ. We watch in his example of love what it means to love each other unconditionally. To love each other even though things aren't quite right between us. Even though there may be friction, we still love each other. He's shown us what it means to forgive. To forgive even when people continue to hurt us. To remain forgiving. He's taught us to love those who hurt us. To love those who persecute us. What credit is it to us to love just those who love us? Even even non-Christians do that. Jesus says even tax collectors do that. But we are called to love those who persecute us, love those who wound us, to pray for our enemies, to pray that we would be reconciled and pray for God's blessing and change in their life. Christ has reconciled us together. He's reconciled us to God, but He also keeps bringing us together as one family. But here's the good news. We don't have to do this on our own. This is not just up to us. We have God's Spirit working in us, enabling us to do this, giving us the courage, the courage to go to someone who has hurt us and say, what you've said or what you have done has hurt me. But I want to be reconciled. I want things to be right between us. The Spirit gives us courage to do that. The Spirit also gives us the humility, the humility to apologize when we need to. When someone comes and says, you've hurt me, he gives us the, the humility to say, I'm sorry. Or to not even wait for someone to come to us to recognize that we've hurt someone by the things that we've done or the things we've said and come and apologize. That we might be reconciled, that things might be brought back together, that the bridges might be repaired. We've been reconciled in Christ. We've been reconciled first and foremost to God, our Father in Heaven, but we've also been reconciled to each other. The differences that would have, that would have splintered this, this church the differences that would have sent us to different corners of the world have been reconciled in Christ. We keep coming together under Him. Every Sunday we gather together under Christ. We have been reconciled. The good news is now you belong here. Let that sink in. Every one of you now belong here in Christ. When you were foreigners, God has made you citizens When you were orphans, God has made you children of God. He has brought you into His own house. Paul says that Jesus came preaching peace to everyone. He came preaching peace. And and Paul is, is a Hebrew man. He's a Jewish man. So when he says peace, he means more than the English idea of peace. The English idea of peace is mostly just they stop shooting at each other. He's talking about the Hebrew word shalom. Which means they stopped shooting, but also they grabbed each other and they held each other in a hug. They reconciled things. It's also this idea of peace in the sense of fullness and prosperity. God is bringing fullness. 
God is bringing blessings. This is what he's talking about in terms of peace. This is the full scope of peace. Not just the end of war, but people loving each other well. And he's also talking about shalom in the sense of of each of us as people. Wholeness in God. No longer that nagging sense that something is wrong or that nagging sense that things aren't quite right. God has brought wholeness. Jesus came proclaiming, proclaiming wholeness, shalom in our lives. And he came and he proclaimed it to everyone. Paul says he, pro- he proclaimed it to those who were far off and he proclaimed it to those who were near. He proclaimed it to those who grew up in their high school years or in their secondary school doing drugs and partying and those who went to, went to youth group every week. He came proclaiming it to those far and to those near. All of us have been included. Christ has come to gather His people up. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they've done, he's come, He has come to gather us. This was made so clear to me this week as I was standing in line as, as I was waiting to go talk with the receptionist at the, at the hotel where we were staying. And there was this, this interesting couple. There was this younger guy with kind of crazy hair and he had like, uh, his mustache was sort of cut into his, into his face. He looked like Captain Morgan. He, he had this funny mustache and he, he was wearing a black kilt and motorcycle and biker boots and a black shirt. And then there was this, and then there was this woman next to him, this younger woman next to him, and she had pink dreadlocks bright pink dreadlocks that were tied up into buns on each side. She had this black dress with with white frills around the edges. And I started thinking, like, you know, where do these people, they're obviously not with the church. They're here for some other reason. And then they started looking around, they started digging around for their wallet. And I'm ashamed to say it, but I think my first thought was that that figures. That figures. Well, as I was, you know, as this, throughout the rest of the week, I saw them a few more times. The last time I saw the man wearing the kilt, he was being ordained in our church as a church planner. <laughs> I love who God is bringing into this kingdom. I love how far God is reaching to bring people into this church. As I watched this couple throughout the week, I saw the superintendent of the Chicago area. I saw him, he's this, he's, this, he's this slender black man in a, in a suit and tie, I never saw him without a tie, hugging the woman with, with bright pink dreadlocks. This is who we are in Christ. This is what I mean by reconciling. People who have no business being together, he brings us together. Christ brings us together. It was so good that I went to this, to this annual meeting. As, as we gathered each day, we had devotions and... John, sorry, John Weinrich, is, he's the director of church revitalization. He did the devotions each morning. Guess what he preached on? Reconciliation. Resent, resentment and reconciliation. How thankful I am. God doing this, helping us, especially this week. He talked about resentment and how we, basically the definition of it is something that we feel we've been, we've been wronged, whether by something someone said or something someone has done, and we hold on to it. And we nurse that grudge. We don't just let it go and let it hang around. No, we nurse it. We nourish it and we bring it along with us. Resentment becomes this lens, this red lens that we begin to look at the world through and everything burns. Everything makes us angry. We see the people that we resent 
We can't stand the way they stand. We can't stand the way they sit. When they talk, it's like fingers on a chalkboard, and when they're quiet, it's worse. Everything about these people, they drive us crazy. That's resentment. Resentment is a cancer. Resentment is a cancer in our lives and it is a cancer in our church. It eats away at who we are. It eats away at who we are as a church. Nelson Mandela said that that resentment, it's the poison we drink hoping it kills our enemy. Because resentment, it alienates us. We withdraw. The angrier we become, the more we withdraw. And next thing you know, we're all by ourselves and then we resent that we're all by ourselves. Resentment is horrible. We have to rid our church of resentment. We have to get rid of resentment in our church. Because it will tear this church apart. It will tear, it will tear any church apart. Resentment is, a, is an enemy of the gospel. Because when people come to the church and they, sent resent, and they sense resentment, they see people who obviously don't like each other, who are rude and cruel to each other, who are abrasive. How long do you think they will stay? For all the work that we do in mission, for I know how much you care, how much you love to see people entering God's kingdom, to find this new life, to run them out because of resentment, for that to ever be the reason that people leave our church. It's heartbreaking. And if I'm honest, sometimes it's infuriating to me. We must root, we must root it out of our church. We must never let resentment get a hold in our church. John, in, his, in one of his sermons, he was talking about resentment. He's like, you, it's so big you have to hold on to it with both hands. And if you're holding on to resentment with both hands, you have no free hands to grab onto anything else. How can you grab onto joy, to life, if you're holding on to resentment? We have to let go. We have to let go of resentment. We do that by forgiving. Even if we don't feel like it, we we pray that God would someday help us to even want to forgive. Even if we have to begin there. It begins in forgiveness. Forgiving each other. Jesus taught this all the time. So much so that one time Peter said, Jesus, are you serious? How many times do we have to, to forgive someone? Seven times? Jesus said no. Seventy times seven. That's the Hebrew way of saying until it, as long as it takes. Forgive as long as it takes. Resentment will tear us apart. It will tear us apart as people, but it will tear, apart, tear us apart as a church. We must be forgiving. We must be gracious with each other. We must be gracious. God is at work in our church. And we do not want to undermine it. As I was reading through this passage, it's interesting to me is how Paul uses this example of, of buildings. He says, You're being built up into a church, you're being joined together. I've asked Dave Whitaker to help me with this.
This is a Roman ark. It was the cornerstone or one of the main engineering feats of the Roman Empire. They used it to build enormous churches and buildings, colosseums, the skyscrapers of their day. They used the ark. They used this, this arch. Paul says that you are being built together, joined together as blocks, being built into one church. Here's the thing, you cannot build a church with one stone. With one brick, you will never get it done. You need hundreds, maybe thousands. The interesting thing about an arch is that each piece is beveled so that they fit together. Each piece relies on the other. If you were to take any one piece out of this, the whole thing would collapse. They rely on each other. And and the interesting thing too is that this is a little bit precarious right here because there's no weight on it. It's when the blocks begin bearing weight, because they are beveled, they're pressed together. As a church, when we begin bearing weight, when things come and they test us, they press us together. The pressure is hard at times, but the pressure holds us together. No one block can say to the other, get out of here because you're worthless. The whole thing will collapse. No block can say that I don't like what's happening here, so I'm leaving. The whole thing. We need each other. We need each other. We are like an arch that God is building. And the, and the capstone is Christ, the one that holds it all together. So the first thing I want to say to us is those of us who have wounded someone, who have hurt someone, we need to be gracious. We need to apologize. Now I know that we are a diverse church. Some people are very tactful. Some people are very very reticent to give any opinion. Others, others of you are built to tell it like it is. And that's good. That's honest. And it's best times you are honest. And you say things that no one else would say. But in your worst moments, you can be blunt, or we can be blunt. I should include myself in this. We can be blunt or abrasive, hurtful. When we go too far, we need to apologize to each other. We need to continue to reconcile with each other. Do not tear apart this family. If you realize that you've said something that hurts someone, apologize. Come back together. If you're angry, if you're upset, still be gracious. I'm not saying that you can't be angry. I'm not saying that we can't be upset as Christians. We're human. But we must be gracious. We must always be gracious. Resentment will tear our church apart. Secondly, some of us have been wounded. We've been hurt. Someone has done something or said something to us. We too have a responsibility. We must be resilient. Nothing hurts me more than, or actually, one of the things that hurts me the most in church is when people just leave. Someone says something, something happens they don't like, and they just leave. There are already people, because of what's happening this week, because of the meeting we had on Tuesday, who don't want to be a part of this church now. They're leaving. And I've never understood that. 
Even if you have trouble with one person, why would you leave the other 99 who love you? Why would you leave this family who needs you? As Christians, we're called to be resilient, to be forgiving of people, even when they hurt us, even when they damage us, even when they say things or do things that, we, that, that wound us deeply. We must continue coming together. The surprising thing is, is that there's, this requires both of us. Both the people who have hurt and those who have been hurt have a part to play. Each have a part in reconciliation. I think sometimes people leave the church because they expect church to be something it's not. They expect that everyone is here because they are perfect. They assume that people are in church because they are perfect. But we know better. We know that we are here because we are sinners and we need salvation. We know the truth that we are sinners. Every one of us. And we need God's help. That's why we are here. That's why we're here. So when someone says something to us that's hurtful, that makes us want to leave, don't. Go to that person. Pray for that person and go to them and be reconciled. Let them know that they've hurt you. Now I'm not saying it will always go well, but I suspect most times it will. You'll be reconciled. But if you go and things don't go well, if they refuse to apologize, then remember this, that it is because of their pride and their shame that they will not apologize. You see, in the kingdom of God, humility is honorable. Apologies, repentance, this is what is good. Pride, arrogance, and shame, these things are not. Pride is shameful. Apologies are honorable in the kingdom of God. We are called to be reconciled to each other. It's the work that all of us must be involved in. If we say something, it is our responsibility to go and to make reconciliation, to go and say, I'm sorry. If someone has said something to us, it is our responsibility to go tell them because they might not even know. It is work to remain together as a church. It is constant work. I mean, think about it. Week in, week out, a hundred sinners gather together. There's going to be problems. There's going to be conflict. And sometimes people have the idea that, that a church is only healthy when there is no conflict. There's no such thing. A healthy church is a church that deals with conflict, doesn't sweep it under the rug. A healthy church is a church that talks together, that loves each other more than our problems. Now, I'm not saying that we have to like everybody, but we do have to love each other. I know that there are some people in our church that there are personalities that just won't mix. That's okay. We don't have to like everyone, but we do have to love each other. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, if you want to check it out, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. So that everyone outside, everyone who looks in, will know you are Christians and know that you are followers because of your love. You will be known by your love. We are called to be gracious to each other. The work of reconciliation is everyone's role. We are all called into this. We all have a responsibility. We are being built into a bigger church. Not necessarily in size, but more in faith. We are being built into a church. The Holy Spirit is putting us together block by block to build us. We are built on a foundation, 
a solid foundation of the prophets and the apostles, those who teach us about God and what it means to follow Him. But especially Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone in masonry is, is the first stone you lay that sets the trajectory of everything else. It is the first stone that, di- that dictates how the building will be built. Christ is the cornerstone of our church. It is on Christ that we know what is plumb, what is straight, and what is true. We are being built up into a church, joined together. Larry, if you could put the slide up here. This is a cathedral in England. What do you see? What do you see architecturally? Arches. Everywhere. Arches along the sides. Arches crisscrossing in the ceiling. Arches that allow light into the building. Arches everywhere. A church built on arches. Block by block. We are being built into a church. Every block is important. We we cannot afford to lose one. Christ is building us up. We need each other. We rely on each other. And when things happen in our church, when they happen with something, a conversation that someone said or something big like this last week, we must remain together, continuing to forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us, loving each other as as God has shown His love for us by sending His Son, praying for each other and staying together. I told you I am hopeful in who we are as a church. I am hopeful in what I've seen. Already this, this morning, Sunday, as I was standing in my office watching people drive in, knowing what has happened already this week, and the words came to me that we will rise. We will rise. When Satan tries to knock us down, we will rise. When adversity and struggles come in our church, we will rise. We are a risen people. We will rise. Amen.